Hi, and thanks for joining in on the Pastor's Class Podcast. Whether you missed a week of class or just want to re-listen to a message, this is the resource for you. Be sure to visit our website at pastorsclass.org for any other information you might need. We hope this message blesses you. And again, thank you for listening. Thank you guys for being here tonight. Acts chapter 9. I thought with, uh, with Christmas, the celebration of Christmas and the birth of Christ upcoming, uh, that we would talk tonight about defining moments, about defining moments. And I went and I tried to pull a bunch of definitions for a defining moment. And what I found is this, that a defining moment is a moment in time that very clearly shows what life is really about. It's a moment that changes you defines you and determines your future. Now, I would uh, think all of us would probably agree that when God left heaven to come to earth as a, a man to be our Savior would certainly qualify, as Jared said tonight, as a defining moment for all mankind. And if you think about it in our country, I was just trying to come up with what would be some good examples of defining moments. I can't think of any that would be more applicable than probably 9-11. I think that uh, even George W. Bush said that in one of his books that it was the defining moment of his presidency was that day. Certainly changed our country forever, wouldn't you say? Uh, Determined our future, still is determining it today. How we live, how we act, our behaviors, so much of it defined by that moment. And I'm sure that if you think of it yourself, you've probably got a lot of defining moments in your own life. Right? If you really just kind of think about it, looking back over, over a life, there was probably a number of defining moments that changed you, maybe in some way defined you and determined a part of your future. I know in my life, uh, there's been many. And as I was thinking about this, it's kind of actually a little glimpse into my testimony. I, I look back uh, when I was a young child and when I was in second grade and it was Christmas Eve, I'll never forget this in my life, and I was waiting by the window for my dad to come pick me up, and he never showed up, and I never saw him again. It was a defining moment. It took me a long time to realize how devastating that was in my life, and uh, as a young kid, I got into all kinds of trouble. Um, you know, another defining moment probably in my life is when I joined the Air Force. It happened just because I was driving by a recruiting office and decided to go in. And if I have to look back and think about it, in part, it was probably me just kind of running from my life. Because like I said, I was a kid in trouble. So, you know, I finished out my high school years reporting to a probation officer. And uh, when I got into the Air Force, it was just a new fresh start for me. But all of my defining moments haven't been... Really on the negative side, I could put meeting my wife, Erin, in that category, and, and I would just tell you, I, I can't say enough about my wife. Uh, she doesn't get nearly the credit she deserves. I couldn't be up here. I couldn't live life, really, without Erin Olson. She, uh, she supports me in so many ways that, uh, and puts up with me uh, when no one else probably could. And it almost didn't happen, actually, when I met her, the guy that had invited me to this private party to, where I met her that night, I told him no five times, and he just never gave up. So I'm so glad that that sixth time I said yes. I could also put on that list of defining moments the day that a Dallas businessman that 
uh, would surprise anybody that probably knows him by the name of Albert Huddleston introduced me to a guy named Mike Fetchner. And uh, that was a defining moment in my life. I would not be here tonight. I would not be speaking to you tonight if it wouldn't have been for that introduction to Mike. Uh, he was a mentor, or a spiritual dad to me, and he brought me to Prestonwood just because he invited me. But I would tell you that there's been no bigger defining moment in my life than in February of 2008 when I was uh, in a living room in California and I was on my knees humbling myself before God, asking Jesus to come into my life uh, and the great Albie Pearson, and I don't say great because he was a baseball player and an all-star and led Marilyn Monroe to the pitcher's man, I say great because he spent six decades uh, as a man of God and a prayer warrior and he had his arm around me and I was in tears and he was crying with me and I was asking God to come into my life. That was a, the defining moment in my life. It was my, if you will, defining moment for Jesus and it definitely changed me, it defined me and I can tell you every day since it has determined my future. So when I look at this Acts chapter 9, I think about the Apostle Paul Jared talked a little bit about it tonight. I know if you think about and you studied his life, you would find that there are a number of defining moments in his life. I would tell you that one of those defining moments we've talked about in the past, it was probably when Stephen, remember young Stephen when he was stoned to death and who was standing there when they were casting his clothes aside? It was Paul, right? That was a defining moment in his life. I can assure you of that. But the defining moment for Jesus in his life takes place in this Acts chapter 9. It was the moment that defined him, that changed him, and determined his future came out of this chapter. And as I really started digging deep into this Acts chapter 9, you know, I started discovering something. And, and that's that, that Paul's defining moment for Jesus really was looking a lot like mine. And his defining moment for Jesus probably looks like just about everybody's defining moment for Jesus. And this became really important for me just to kind of dig deeper into it. And I'll tell you why, because I don't know about you. I've said it myself, and I've heard lots of people that have told me this in the past. They've said, listen, if I could just have a moment like Paul, if I could just see Jesus the way Paul saw Jesus, if I could just have that experience that he had on that road to Damascus, then man, I would have a bigger faith. I could do more for Christ. I wouldn't struggle maybe the way I do with my unbelief. It wouldn't be so hard for me if I could just have that same experience that the Apostle Paul had on that road. Well, I think we're going to see tonight when we open up the, the book of Acts in chapter 9 that there's good news. Okay, there's good news because we can live like Paul because I promise you that in all of our cases, if you've had a defining moment for Jesus or when you have a defining moment for Jesus, it's going to look a lot like the Apostle Paul's defining moment for Jesus. So let's take a look. If you've got a Bible, you can turn it over to Acts chapter 9. I'm just going to read the whole chapter and then we're going to talk about it. Acts chapter 9. I was singing so much over there, my throat got kind of dry a little bit. You got to, got to be a little bit more lively than this, all right? I need like some commotion or, or something. It's a little bit too quiet in here for me. There you go. There you go. I just want to know you're awake, okay? Listen, I've been preparing all week for this. You got to give me something, all right? All right. 
verse 1, but Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I, am, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. Jared was reading from this tonight. And the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So there you go. I mean, no more beautiful picture of a defining moment for Jesus than that. Like the old hymn says, I once was blind, but now I see. Maybe the most uh, important commonality, if you will, between our defining moment or anybody's defining moment for Jesus and Paul's is really this. And that is, once you have a moment with Jesus... You see things differently. Life looks differently. You approach life differently with a different hope. This reads differently. God speaks to you in a different way. But let me give you a few other things. I've got four points of comparison that I want to make that I think proves my point. The first is all defining moments for Jesus are unexpected. All are unexpected. Isn't that right? I mean, have you ever heard anybody talk in advance about going to accept Christ one night? I don't think so. I mean, I guarantee you this was unexpected if you're Paul, right? I mean, it says that he was breathing threats and murder. He was going out to kill and capture Christians. There is no chance that he thought on that road he was going to encounter Christ. Completely unexpected. In fact, Paul was like ISIS, really. I mean, later on, he would say that he was the chief of sinners. But you know what? It's really actually kind of a great encouragement to me. 
Because I look at this and I think about the Apostle Paul and I think about how, how far gone he was and how bad he was. I mean, can you really think of anything worse than murdering and killing and capturing Christians? And yet, even as far gone as he was, God was there. Gave him an opportunity to repent. Something we all must do if we want to know and want to have that defining moment with Jesus. It was unexpected. Nobody plans this out. I know I didn't plan it out. I didn't go to that house in February of 08 with the intention of having an encounter and a moment with Christ. I know Erin didn't plan it out because I was with her months later when that same Albie Pearson spoke truth into her eyes. It wasn't expected. It wasn't planned out. I know like when my friend, Coach Mike Weiner at the Mavericks, when three, I think now four years ago on a Christmas Eve service at Prestonwood, gave his life to Christ, it wasn't expected. And what does all this mean for us? Well, if you came here tonight, maybe that's you. Maybe you weren't expecting this. But let me tell you what. God has a way, doesn't he, of getting your attention. Of knocking you on your rear like he did Paul. And he doesn't always tell you in advance when it's coming because it's unexpected. This is maybe my favorite one, the second point. All defining moments for Jesus are personal. They're personal. I love, what I love about this is it says that there was this great light. If you went over into Acts chapter, I think it's 22, you would see that they say it's brighter than the sun. Yet all these guys that were with him, they couldn't see Jesus. This was a moment for Paul. This was a moment that was intended for him. It was very personal. In fact, just the way the language here, when Jesus says, Saul, Saul. Those are, those are very personal, compassionate words. If you look in the Bible and you see places where multiple names are used together like that, it would be places like where he said, Abraham, Abraham, when he was about to kill his son. Or Moses, when he was at the burning bush and he said, Moses, Moses. Or even Jesus, when he was with Martha and Mary and he said, Martha, Martha, these are words of of compassion, they're personal words, they're loving words. Here's a person that had been killing and murdering Christians and, and, and Jesus is addressing him with this compassion, this love. In fact, on the cross, what did Jesus say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are personal. This was a personal deal, it was for Paul. And what does he answer? He says, who are you? I, I love this. How do you think he knew? He said, who are you, Lord? It's like, it's like this has just already been birthed inside of him, right? And we see that when we come to Christ. It's like he's already planted something inside of us that's working. The stirring inside of you. He knew who he was. He said, who is it? Lord. That, that word Lord there means Yahweh. Creator God. It's used over 6,000 times in the Bible. He knew. And what did Jesus say? It is I. It's me. It's Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? It's personal. And what I think about when I think about how personal it can be, I think about that worship center. You know, whether you're in there on that Christmas Eve service like Coach Weiner or any Saturday or Sunday with thousands of people, or you're in a group like this, isn't it just so amazing how God can talk directly to you? Can talk directly to you because it's personal. It's personal. All defining moments for Jesus are also God-ordained. First, let's remember uh, one very important thing. Paul didn't become a Christian when that light shone down and, and, and he was on that road. 
It happened later when he was praying with Ananias. In fact, you've got to kind of piece it together. But if you go over to Acts chapter 22, there's a verse in there that says that Paul, calling on the name of Jesus. And it's as simple as that, isn't it? The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. He wasn't saved on that road. He was saved in that prayer. Because let me tell you, lots of people actually get knocked down by God that don't ever believe. Lots of people get knocked down and they just go through trial and tribulation after trial and tribulation. God constantly trying to get their attention and they just are blind. They're blind. The second thing I want to remember about this God-ordained moment is that Ananias, he went. Now, he complained a little bit in the beginning, right? I mean, like all of us, what was his first thought? Well, God, you must be wrong. Right? You said, to what? Go and lay hands on this guy Saul who is killing Christians. Do you really have this right? I mean, we do that too, right? We want to make excuses. I mean, we're always kind of like, I'm in. Here I am, God. Let me me go and be your witness. But, thank you, John. But, maybe if it's too hard, maybe you're wrong, God. Maybe that's really not where you want me to go. Maybe you really don't want me to to be ministering in that place. Maybe you really don't want me to go over there. Are you sure, God? And that was Ananias. But the good news is he was obedient. He went. God sent him. Jesus sent him. And he went. And I talked about this a few weeks ago. I said that, you know, for just about everyone, there's someone in their life that may be the only person that's between them and hell. I think about that all the time. And the people that I come in contact with every day in my day in, day out life, I think about who amongst them am I, the one person that God has put here to make sure that they know about Christ? I mean, I tell you, that's something good to get up every single day and think about. Because if you think about it that way, I promise you, there's somebody in your life, there's a family member, there's somebody that you know that needs Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, you're Ananias. And God's waiting for you to go. For you to go. You may be the only person between them and hell. Albie Pearson was one of those guys that was that person for me. Here it was Ananias for Paul. He was ordained by God and he went. And what does that mean for us? Well, I promise you that you are not here tonight by accident. You're not. I don't believe in that. God's got you here for a reason and you never know what that reason is because you know what sometimes it's unexpected the fourth thing that I would say about defining moments for Jesus is all defining moments for Jesus are in fact defining moments I'll go all the way back to where I started it changes your direction because when Jesus enters your life he changes everything I mean look at Paul he went from murdering the witness of Christ to being the witness of Christ Changed his whole life. It changed him. It defined him. It determined his future from that road, from that house on Straight Street, which, by the way, that that street still exists today in the oldest city on the earth in Damascus. It goes all the way back. If you go back to Genesis, I think chapter 12 or 14, it talks about Damascus still here today. You go back to that, from that day, from that place, from that prayer where he called on the name of Jesus went on to be one of the greatest church planters in history, planted over 14 churches in places like Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi, all the places that you read about in your Bible, wrote 
13 books of the New Testament, four of them from prison. But none of that would have happened but for his defining moment for Jesus that took place in this chapter 9. You know, I recently was um, read. I, I kind of skimmed through the Dallas Morning News. I used to read it, but it's getting more and more disheartening to me, so now I skim through it. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, I saw this article that was about this guy named Orville Rogers. And I don't know why, but it just really kind of stood out to me, so much so that this is an odd thing for me to do. Not an odd thing that I bought a book, because I have about, I buy books all the time, but I never read them. So uh, I have a lot of books, I'm just not putting them to good use. But I bought this book when I saw that article, and then on one trip, one business trip, I read the entire book, which I never do. Uh, And I would tell you that I didn't know Orville, or I don't know Orville, although I've now decided that I probably should. Uh, he and I have, I think, some things in common, but I look at him as kind of a modern day, if you will, Paul. And uh, they call him the running man because he's 99 years old now. And since he turned 90, I think he's got like 23 world records uh, in running and has won countless gold medals. Listen, I hope I'm just walking when I'm 99 years old. He's still running two miles a day. And he's 99 years old. Orville Rogers is his name. His real passion, though, oddly enough, wasn't running. It was flying. Uh, And his mother must have known this because she named him Orville after Orville Wright. But his passion for flying, he said, was birthed uh, when Charles Lindbergh flew his plane over his little schoolhouse in Oklahoma in 1927. And I will tell you that in reading his book, one of the reasons I couldn't put it down is his life was just filled with defining moments. And, uh, you know, I could go through uh, several of these. And like I said, it kind of spoke to me because when he was six years old, his father left him as well and uh, never showed up again. He later learned that he died as a drunk in a cheap motel. Later in life, he joined the military, flew countless missions in World War II and in Korea. Uh, Later, he met his wife, Beth. He was married for 64 years. It was the love of his life. Beth was his first passenger, he said, and The last, they flew his last flight together when he was well into his 80s. Whenever they got married, they moved to Dallas and they, uh, he started working for Braniff Airlines and he worked there for years and years and years and he took a little bit of his income and he invested it and he invested part of it in a a, a shale play called the Barnett Shale and he invested the rest of it in Walmart and uh, before he got to his ripe old age of 99, he said, given away $34 million to his church, which is First Baptist Church in Dallas, where he's been a deacon for about 50 years, uh, and to other ministries. Uh, of all the things I got, I didn't get that one, so I was a little bit left out there. But, uh, but like me, no moment in his life uh, was any bigger than when he was 10 years old, and his mom every day, every Sunday, would take him across the street to this little Baptist church. And he said he still today remembers that when the pastor would would talk about the gospel, and he would say that we're all sinners, and Jesus died for us, and if we would just believe in Him, He'll take care of those sins for us. And uh, he says even still today. Uh, Some, I guess, 90 years later, he still shares the gospel that same way. That was his defining moment for Jesus. It's what changed him and defined him and it determined his future. 
and it helped him all through life. It was that moment that helped him overcome that, that childhood, the difficult childhood of losing a dad, growing up poor. Uh, it was that moment that gave him strength. He talked about all the missions that he flew in World War II and in Korea, how, how scared he was at times. Uh, it was that moment that guided him. Uh, to go to seminary instead of entering the oil business with his, with his uncles. It was also that that led him to meet his wife. He actually met her as part of a college campus ministry. And he would tell you it's definitely that that uh, gave him his financial abundance. And it's also that moment, that defining moment. One of the greatest things that I think he accomplished in his life is that for almost 40 years, he flew hundreds, if not thousands, of flight missions all over the world for Christ in places like Colombia and Peru and Brazil and Africa. But as amazing as his life story is, and it really is amazing, uh, none of it would have ever happened but for the defining moment with Jesus when he was 10 years old. And even in his own words, it says, here's how he describes it. He says, the circumstances of my early life, a fatherless child, abandoned, raised by a single mom with limited means, did not bode well for a glowing future. But at age 10, I chose a different kind of father, my heavenly father. And since then, God has seen fit time and time and time and time again to bless me with experiences and relationships that have enriched my life beyond measure and changed me forever. Changed his life. That was his defining moment for Jesus when he was 10 years old. It altered every single moment in his life to today when he's 99 years old, still winning races and gold medals. It was his defining moment for Jesus.